0: As you probably already know, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And for those of you who have already studied it, I'm sure you would agree, it's a fascinating book. It's one of my favorite books. It's a beautiful story of God's redemptive power at work. And it reveals over and over. His faithfulness to keep his promises to his people. Do you know that God is a promise keeper? You can expect that of him. Uh, Exodus is a story of a covenant keeping God. Demonstrating that he can be trusted to bring to realization every promise he makes. And that his people can rely on him to fulfill his word. He means what he says. One of the central themes in this book is that God is with his people. He's not a far-off, distant God. He didn't create man and then leave them to their own devices. He is a very present God who's actively working in ways that his people might not always be able to see, but I promise you they are ways that are above and beyond anything that we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And this covenant-keeping God invites us, invites the people that we'll see in Exodus to a place of absolute trust in him. Because I just need to tell you, that place of trust, that place of surrender to his will and his power in our life is really the only place of rest that we can find. It is my prayer that as we study the book of Exodus, this book on deliverance, because it is a book about deliverance, that we, his people, will get delivered from our own doubts and fears in regards to trusting God. Because let me ask you, what would truly happen if we really believed God, if we really believe that he could be trusted to keep his promises, that he can be trusted with our day-to-day lives, that he can be trusted with the things that concern us, what would happen if we really believed that his word is actually the only thing that is trustworthy in our lives? How would that change the way we're living if we truly believe that God had us and that he can be trusted to keep us? And that even when it might appear that he's absent, that we can trust that he's working. And even when life is difficult and circumstances are hard, we can trust that he's at work. That no matter what's happening in our lives, that God is working for good and can be trusted to bring us through life triumphantly. Do you believe that? Because that is really the place of rest. Coming to an understanding that God is ultimately in control of every detail of our life. Do you believe that? Because that is the place of victory. When you don't sweat the things that are happening and you understand that there is a force far greater than you at work. And a force that you can trust and put your hope in. The book of Exodus is an incredible book, and I believe that as we explore it together, you will begin to discover truths about God that will transform your life. Because, And hear me, if you miss everything else I say tonight, hear this. I believe that it's a faulty understanding of God that is at the root of every issue in our life. It is the core of all our fears, all our anxieties, all of our addictions, our worries, our pain. It's at the center of every broken relationship we have, every jealousy, every insecurity, every disappointment, and every place of despair. At the root of all of those things is a faulty understanding of God. That we don't really believe that he is trustworthy. That we don't really believe that that, that he has us. That he can be trusted to keep us. And that he is working in ways that we cannot see. And it's my hope that by the time we finish this book. That you'll have a new revelation of the character. And the attributes of God that will transform you. And lead you into a whole new level of trust and rest in him. There are 40 chapters in Exodus. (laughs) It's going to be a long series. I'm not going to kid you. I really have nothing else to do. I really like not having to worry about what I'm going to teach next. This is pretty easy for me. Let's just spend 40 chapters and take our time going through them. And you know I will. How long did it take us to get through five chapters in James? (laughs) I promise you'll never be bored. Tonight, you might with this overview, but from here out, baby, we got some good stories and they will be applicable. I'll make sure that I flesh them out and you have application every week in your life. So if you have your Bibles tonight, open them to the book of Exodus and you can try to follow along as I give you an overview of the book itself. I want to give you a breakdown of those 40 chapters in a way that might be more palatable for you and give you something to look forward to. Most commentators agree that Exodus can be broken down. Uh, the first 18 chapters of the book, for example, deal with God leading his people out of bondage. How many of us are in bondage tonight? Don't raise your hand. Out of bondage, out of slavery, out of captivity. In those chapters, we'll learn about the nation, how the nation of Israel came about. We'll talk about the birth in the early years of Moses, who was God's chosen deliverer. We'll learn about confronting Pharaoh, one of my favorite. Uh, The Pharaoh is a picture of of our enemy, the enemy of our lives, the one who wants to hold us in cruel bondage and keep us in captivity. And we'll see God deliver his people out of bondage and, and read about their testing in the wilderness. Those are the first 18 chapters. Fascinating stuff in those chapters. The next six chapters, uh, chapters 19 through 24, uh, deal with God giving the people the law, his 10 commandments, if you will. And one thing that I want to remember and I'll reiterate it to you as we cover that passage is people will say, well, we, we, we don't want to talk about the law. Can I just tell you that God's people were delivered, they were set free, they were saved simply because they cried out to God. If you cry out to God, he will save you, he will deliver you. It doesn't matter what you've done, it's not, it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter how bad you are. Can I tell you, if we're talking about who was the baddest, it was me. Trust me, I'm with Paul that would say... I am the chief of all sinners. There isn't anybody that hasn't done the things I've done. Trust me. And if God can deliver me, if he can do it for the likes of me, there is nothing, dear one, that you could ever do that he is not able to deliver you from. He loves you. And that love and his ability to deliver you is not about you being good enough or earning that love. It is by grace that you've been saved, through faith and not by works, so that no man can boast. And so before God gave the people, I have people that are really idiotic enough to say, Rhea, we don't want to hear about the law. Here's what I want you to hear. God's people were delivered, saved because they cried out. After he led them out, he gave them the law. They weren't saved and delivered because they were good enough and kept the law. And that's our mistaken belief. This is our ignorance in the Word of God. And so we're going to talk about that for a bit as well. And then the final 16 chapters, chapter 25 through 40, deal with my favorite, the construction of the tabernacle, the meeting place of God. Leslie's saying her favorite too. As we study these passages, Lisa agrees, it's her favorite too. And as we study these passages, we, well, the tabernacle was designed to be a physical reminder to his people of, his, of God's presence and his desire to meet with them with him. That he wants us to know him. And that's one of the main themes of Exodus. And when we begin to study the tabernacle, we'll study about coming into the presence of God and, and his glory filling our life and experience. Experiencing him at such a personal, intimate level, and it's a fascinating study. Dr. James Vines says, in in Exodus, you have the trip, the tablets, and the tent. I really like that. You see, first of all, how God saves the people, then secondly, how he separates the people, and then thirdly, you'll discover how he sanctifies his people. And those are the things that we're going to look at as we explore the book of Exodus together. As far as authorship, uh, the book of Exodus was written by Moses at about 1450 to 1410 B.C. It covers about a 40-year time span, and it takes place more than 400 years after the death of Joseph. Uh, So let's take a look at it. Exodus chapter 1. Tonight, we're just going to look at the first eight verses. And it begins by saying, now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Ishakar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, for Joseph was already in Egypt. And Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, (laughs) if you were just reading Exodus, uh, how many of you would stop and study that first part? We would start, we would see that genealogy and we would see, you know, this guy named Joseph and that he died and a Pharaoh rose who did not know him. And we'd get to the, we'd skip all that and get over to the story about Moses and we'd start studying that. And, uh, but it's, we're going to pause here tonight and we're going to look at these first eight verses because they're important. Uh, they're setting the stage for the book of Exodus. The word Exodus itself means exit, it means escape, a way out or departure. But that is the name, and hear me, that is the name given to the book by Greek translators. It's from the Greek Septuagint. uh, You've heard me teach this before, and let me just reiterate it again. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, Who knows that the Old Testament is in Hebrew and the New Testament is in Greek? And so the Septuagint is the Greek translation of of the Old Testament. And so the word Exodus was given to this book by Greek translators. But the Hebrew name of this book is These Are the Names. That's an odd name, isn't it? These are the names. And it's taken from the first four words of the book. And these are the names, or now these are the names. And who in their right mind begins a book with now or and? That's just not the way you begin a book. And, and that's because most commentators feel the book of Exodus was never meant to be a standalone book. But rather a continuation of a narrative that began in Genesis and continues through Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's important that you understand that as we begin to study this. These are the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they all make up what you might know or have heard uh, to be the Pentateuch. How many of you have ever heard that word before? Or or perhaps you might have heard it referred to as the Torah. Have you heard that? Uh, And so the the translators of the Septuagint called these first five books the Pentateuch. And it came from two Greek words, which meant five and volume. In other words, a five-volume series or a five-volume collection. The Jews called these five books the Torah, uh, from the Hebrew word meaning the law. And so in the Hebrew manuscripts, and remember the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, that the Hebrew manuscripts, these books form one complete work, not five separate books. It's one story that's covered over what we know as five separate books. Are you following me? And so commentators say these first five books of the Old Testament are to the Old Testament what the Gospels are to the New Testament. They're really important. And most commentators believe that Moses not only is the author of Exodus, but he's the author of all five of those books. There's some debate there, but I would tell you that that's where they really settle is that he is the author of all five books. And it's important that you keep in mind as we study the book of Exodus and those other four books that it and each of those other books in the Pentateuch is, is concerned with God's covenantal relationship with his people. So we're going to really stress that covenantal relationship. God has made a covenant with his people, and he can be trusted to keep it. And that's what we will see in this study. Some of you might say, Rhea, why are you picking an Old Testament book to study? Shouldn't we be studying the New Testament? And I want you to flip over to 1 Corinthians 10.6. Please turn over there with me tonight. It's really important that you, that you get this. 1 Corinthians 10.6. Paul is actually, in this passage, summarizing uh, what happened in the book of Exodus, what we are about to study in the book of Exodus. He talks about Moses. He talks about the Red Sea. He talks about the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He talks about them drinking water from a rock and other things that happened in the wilderness. He's summarizing the book of Exodus there. And then he adds, and remember this is New Testament. He adds, now these things occurred, these things in the book of Exodus occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. He's referencing the stories that we are going to begin studying the next couple months. And then flip over to verse 11. He adds, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings to us on whom the accumulation of the ages have come. Look at that. The things that we are about to study the next couple months were written for our instruction They happened to those poor Israelites and were written down for us. The point is a little clear in the Passion Translation. I want to read that to you. It says, all the tests they endured on their way through the wilderness are a symbolic picture, an example that provides us with a warning so that we can learn through what they experienced. That's why we're going to study this book, so that we can learn through what they experienced. So what happened to the Israelites in the book of Exodus was recorded for us as a warning that these things were written to warn us not to crave evil like they did, not to disobey God like they did, not to doubt God like they did, So we're not just studying a book of history. This book was written to provide a much-needed instruction for us. The Exodus was was not a deliverance of a foreign nation out of slavery. It's about a deliverance, uh, 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 the God of deliverance, who wants to do in our own lives what he did for them and lead us into a land of abundance. And so that's why we're going to study it. So if all of these five books... We're, we're meant to be read as a continuous story, a continuous narrative. If they're all connected, don't you think it's important that we look at the book of Genesis before we jump into Exodus? I really think that, that that's important. Uh, how many of you, how many of you are Star Wars fans? Dave, raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> I heard Matt Chandler give this illustration and it was profound to me because I am not a Star Wars fan and he is, and, and he's seen them all. Like all. Davey, when was the first one? 1977. But it wasn't really the first one. It was the fourth one. How crazy is this? Do you, Star Wars fans, do you know this? That 1977, the first Star Wars movie was not really the first one. It was the fourth one. And then there was the fifth one and the sixth one. And then in like 1999, the first one came out. Crazy. And there are seven or eight of them now. And, uh, but Dave and I, there was this one, what was it, like 15, 2015, something like that, and it was called The Force Awakens. Do you remember that? Like, everybody was waiting for it. Like, we had to get tickets way far in advance because it was going to be sold out forever, and and so we were super excited, and I surprised Dave with these tickets, and I didn't want to see it because I'm not a Star Wars fan, but he was, and so I thought, date night, who cares? He's going to love me because I got him tickets, and it's going to be score for me, and Because, you know, he always outdoes me on date night, and so I got pretty excited about this, so I got him these tickets to go see The Force Awakens, and I'm thinking, what's the big deal? But it's number seven in the series. Are you with me? So I know nothing about one, two, three, four, five, six. I just know I'm going on a date night for number seven and then all of a sudden now remember i have not seen them at all and dave has seen every one of them and and so dave loved every moment of this movie and but i am like totally confused the entire, mo- the entire movie. I'm like, who's the guy in the black suit with the creepy mechanical voice? And what does he have to do with this movie? And why are they talking about Luke Skywalker? And who is that monkey, that big hairy guy? And why does he make those grunt sounds? And I'm like elbowing Dave the entire movie. And I'm like, Dave, who is that? And what is, what is his grandson thing? What was his grandpa like? And, and I'm trying to have this conversation and Dave is like mesmerized. <laughs> And I might have still been entertained by the movie, but I get to tell you, I was completely lost. And so afterwards, we went out for dinner, and I was like, you got to tell me about 1, 2, Because none of it made sense to me, and I could be entertained by it. But I did not get any of the punchlines, and, and, you know, the whole crowd would, like, be cheering, and I'd be like, what? That does <laughs> not even make sense to me. And if we begin tonight in Exodus... And I don't give you some Genesis, it's like taking you to see the Force Awakens. <laughs> because just in those eight verses I just read you are some inside secrets to one, two, three, four, five, six that you need to get before you can be like, oh my goodness, this is so good. Are you with me? And so you're gonna be like, Rhea, why do we have to go back and look at Genesis? Because you're not going to understand Exodus. It's going to be being entertained like I was with The Force Awakens. But it won't be profound to you like it was to Dave. Are you with me? And so Genesis. You've heard me teach on Genesis many times. So we're going to talk really fast. People say, Ria, listen to you teach. is like drinking water out of a fire hydrant. You just wait. Tonight we're going to be, we're going to go fast. So get it. Stay with me. And so in the beginning, God, Exodus or Genesis opens. Genesis, the word Genesis means beginning. Are you with me? Or origin. The the beginning, in the beginning, the, the first verse is in the beginning, what? God. God was in the beginning. He is the maker of everything. He's the creator of everything. There was nothing before God. He always was. If that doesn't give you peace, I don't know what does. And so in the beginning, God, and the Bible says that, that everything was in chaos, and it was dark, and, and that the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over uh, the, 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 the darkness. <laughs> and he said, let there be, and there was, and immediately order came out of chaos. Oh, see, some of you need to let there be in your life. You need to let God speak his word over your life and bring some order out of the chaos. If he did it in the beginning, he can do it now. That's the lesson from Genesis. And the Bible says, in the beginning, God, and he created, and he said, let there be, and there immediately was. That's how powerful his word is. That's why when we speak his word, it creates. His word still has creating power, and that's why it's so important that we don't speak our words. We speak his words. God said this. When my children were spinning out of control and everybody was saying, you know, this son this is, is going to just go down the wrong road, I began to say what God said. Even though his situation in the natural looked hopeless, I began to speak over him and say, God, you said that my children will be taught by the Lord and great will my children's peace be. You said the offspring of the righteous are blessed and they're mighty in the land. That boy is going to be mighty in the land. I began to speak and say what God said because God's word has power. And it creates out of nothing. And it takes chaos and brings order back into it. His word has not changed. And so the Bible says that in the beginning God created. He spoke and, and the whole universe came into being light, came into darkness. I mean, it was powerful. And he spoke and he saw that it was good. But here's, here's the best thing about all of it. Is that when it came to man, when it came to you and me, God didn't speak, let there be Rhea. And there was. There was. The Bible says that God, when it came to man, he said, let us form man in our image and in our likeness. I want him to be like me. And so let us make him in our image and in our likeness. And and the Bible says that he formed man. He formed them. He formed them in the dust of the earth. (laughs) He knit you together, dear one, in your mama's womb. You are not the product of a mother and, and father's decision to make you. You are the product of God creating you, knitting you together in your mama's womb. You are not an accident. I don't care who fed that line to you. You are not an accident. God created you. You have a destiny. You have a purpose that only you can fulfill in your life. Get busy doing it. Because you are created by God. And the creator has only the creator has rights to what it's created. Today, I was talking to my little great-niece Polly. Polly, you've heard me talk about Polly before. And she just brings such delight in my heart. And today was her birthday. And, and so I called her, and she was in the car with her mama. And her mom, I FaceTimed her because I like to see her face. And, and David, she's not the cutest thing. She had bright red lipstick on. She is nine years old. And she is just, she is way too big for her britches. And she had this... Uh, Love Your Melon hat on. Are you familiar with Love Your Melon? And I am like, where in the world did you get a Love Your Melon that size? It was just a little teeny tiny thing. And I'm like, Polly, is that a Love Your Melon hat you have on? And and I, I knew it was because I could see the label on the front and I don't know if you're familiar with Love Your Melon, but my son Tyler lives in Minneapolis, and he did a lot of work with that ministry. It's a ministry that for every hat you buy, they contribute a hat to a child of cancer patient child uh, to cover his head and then gives money from the proceeds of that hat into, you know, childhood cancer prevention. And so I, I believe in that ministry. My son works with them often. And, and so I, I, I was really impressed that I could see she had a Love my Melon, love Your Melon hat on. And, and, and so I could tell because of the logo that was on her hat. Now, it's really just a knit hat. Like, tell me your name, darling. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even see it back here. How are you? Look at this beautiful knit hat she's wearing. Now, I could slap a logo on it, but it would not be an original Love Your Melon hat. It's a beautiful knit hat, but it's not a Love Your Melon. But really, without the logo, without the label, it's just a knit hat, just like this one. There's nothing special to, to Polly's Love Your Melon hat, except that it bears the logo of the creator. And I could immediately look at it and identify it as a Love Your Melon. Oh, if you were with me, you would be awed right now, because you have been knit together in your mama's womb. you have been created by God. You bear His logo, you bear the stamp of His creation. You belong to Him. People should be able to look at you and say, "Whoa, there's some that's not just a knit hat. I live for that. See, that's the problem with Christians today. Sorry. I'm sorry if I'm offending you. I really don't care. I don't need your attendance here. I'm not living for that. Here's what I'm living for to please him. And I will say what he tells me to say and I will do what he tells me to do. And if you get offended, rock on with your bad self because I have to be obedient to what he tells me to say and to do. And here is the problem with the church today. They're so worried about offending. They're so worried about somebody getting angry and leaving. I really don't care. Here's what I worry about. When I leave here tonight, I will say, Lord, did I say everything you wanted me to say? Did I make it as clear as I possibly could? And here's what I want to tell you, that the church today is not a threat because they don't look any different than the unbeliever down the street. People should look at you and say, Whoa, she bears the logo of her creator. I can identify her as him, as belonging to him, just by the way she looks and acts. Church, what is wrong with us? What is wrong with us? That's why nobody wants our Jesus, because we don't look any different than the unbeliever down the street, and that should not be. We gossip just like everybody else. We, we rip on people just like everybody else. We are unkind and, 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 and say cutting things just like everybody else. We do things that we should not do just like everybody else. I know that's not a normal knit hat. I think it has a logo on it. You belong to your creator. And your creator... Owns you. (laughs) Hate to tell you that. And we're going to find that out with the Israelites. That he gets to determine what's right and wrong in our life. He gets to determine the way we should go in our life. We've forgotten about lordship. And so he created Adam and Eve and, and he, he breathed, the Bible says, the breath of life into them. If you're sitting here tonight and you're lacking life, I just ask you to just get back in his presence and ask, you, ask him to breathe new life back into you because he will. He has the breath of life that you're longing for. And he breathed the breath of life into Adam, and he became a living soul. And, and the Bible, up until that point, everything that God created, uh, none of them were created to have fellowship with him except man. The birds of the air, uh, the animals, that they were just created by God, spoken into being. But man was created for fellowship, for intimacy with God, to walk with him in the cool of the garden. That's why we were created to bear his likeness, to look like him. And then and that, and everything was good. And then all of a sudden, the enemy slithered into the garden. And, and God said to, the, to Adam and Eve, you've heard me teach on this. There were two trees in the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, everything you have in this garden is here for you. Do you know what the word Eden means? Pleasure. Everything here is for your pleasure, for your delight. I've created everything you need. Just don't eat of this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because everything I've created for you is good. I want you to only know good.'t don't, don't tinker in the knowledge of the good and evil. I don't want you to know that, so stay away from that tree, but God has given us free will. And so who knows what happened? The enemy slithers into the garden and he says to Eve, "Did God really say? if don't, I don't, God doesn't mean what He says He didn't mean you couldn't eat." and he enticed Eve and she eats from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and all of a sudden she, they realize that they're naked and now they're ashamed and so they hide from God and, and, and the, the, the man who was created for fellowship with God is now hiding from him because you see that's what sin does when we disobey God when we, we rebel against what he tells us not to do we'll hide from him in shame and guilt and condemnation and so God comes into the garden. He says, where are you? This is God. He knows. He knows exactly where they are. But I think he's saying, where are the Adam and Eve that I created? The ones who wouldn't hide from me. That know that they are loved. That, that I want them to be in fellowship with me. And so fellowship uh, was, was compromised There. And you know the story that that sin entered the picture and and that separated them from fellowship with God. And it still works that way in our life. I'm just going to tell you that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. But I'm telling you that when we rebel against his word and we do what we know we should not do, there's a broken fellowship that happens with us. Even though nothing can ever separate me from his love, I'm no longer in fellowship and in communion with him. I'm hiding because of shame and guilt and condemnation. And there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He invites us to come close to him. That's what, the, that's what the Bible is all about. A God who wants us to know him. And so Adam and Eve hide and sin enters the picture. And, and, and you know the story from there. It just goes downhill quickly. And God said to them, you know, he said, don't eat of this tree or you will surely die. Death will come. And so when Adam and Eve, he he realized that they had eaten from the tree, God means what he said. When he said death will come, he meant it. But in his grace and his mercy, because we serve a God who's full of grace and mercy, he takes a substitute and he takes the life uh, of a substitute, an animal, instead of Adam and Eve's life. And he uses those skins to cover their nakedness. And it's a picture of what the Gospels will eventually reveal. The first Adam failed, but the second Adam didn't give in to temptation. He was Christ, and he overcame, and he provided the sacrificial lamb. He was the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. For what Adam uh, gave in to in the garden, Christ became the atoning sacrifice for that. He was the second Adam, the Word of God says. And so fast forward ahead and you know the rest of the stories. Then we, we go to Noah because the, the, the Bible says that, 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 that sin just continued. Now sin has entered the picture and, and it just continued to get worse and worse. And in, and in Noah's time, you know the story, uh, the story of Noah. God says that, 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 that they had, he regretted even making man. Does that grieve anybody besides me? Let's, let's read that passage where, where he says that. I'm trying to get through this as fast as I possibly can for you. Um, but if you turn over to... Now hmm. I have it here somewhere? What is it? 6... Six six Oh Oh, yes. 6, 5, and 8. 5 through 8. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. But Noah, verse 8 found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God, of course, you know the story, told him to build an ark. It's a picture of us finding refuge in Christ, uh, that we are in Christ. We're free from the judgment of sin, uh, and and we're safe there, protected. Fast forward a little bit more, you get to the story of Abraham. And this is the story where Exodus really picks up in what we need to cover before we can get to that. Um, Abraham, God made a covenant with Abraham uh, that, And all of God's dealing with humanity are related to that covenant. And that's why it's so important that we know about it. Turn over to Genesis 17, 7. Now from Abraham, we begin to really get the the information that we need to begin to study Exodus. Abraham, he, he says in Genesis 17, 7, he says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. That's us. To be your God and to the God of your descendants after you. It was an unconditional covenant. It was a covenant that was based solely upon God. He bound himself to bring about what he promised. God told Abraham to leave his country and to leave his people in exchange for another land and another people who God would give him. And God promised to make him a great nation and bless him and make his name great. Who knows that that's a crazy thing for God to say. How old was was Abraham when God said this? He was an old, 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 old man. Did he have any descendants at that point? No, because his wife was barren. She's old and barren. And they had tried to have children and they couldn't. (laughs) And so God is coming to him, and he's saying, hey, Abraham, I got some great news for you. Your descendants, he says, look up in the sky. Your descendants are going to be as many as the stars in the sky. That's how many, how many descendants I'm going to give out. In fact, I'm going to make a nation out of you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm old. My wife is old, and she's barren. But the Bible says that Abraham believed God. See what would happen if we actually believed God? What would happen if we really trusted God to do what He says He'll do? And so Abraham believed God, and the Bible says that he had who, Isaac. How many? I, I'm going to make your your descendants as many as the stars in the sky. How many children did Abraham have? Well, yeah, how many did he have because of the promise? the way God wanted it to be. One, Isaac, not Ishmael, Isaac. Isaac was the child of the promise. Are you with me? So Abraham dies, and did he ever see a great nation? Did he ever see his descendants as many as the stars in the sky? But did he believe God? He died believing God. He died believing that God would take him into a land of of abundance, into the, the land of flowing with milk and honey, the land of promise, so much so that when he died, he said, make sure I'm buried there because I believe God. I believe God. So Abraham Gave birth to Isaac. Isaac had a son named uh, Jacob. Jacob, you will recall, wrestles with God. God changes his name to what? Israel. You guys know this. I'm proud of you. To Israel. So remember, the nation, God's going to give him a nation, make a nation, the nation of Israel. So Abraham gives birth to Isaac. Isaac gives birth to Jacob. Jacob has how many sons? The 12 that you see in the beginning of Exodus. Are you with me? Those 12 are all Jacob's sons. The 12 what? Tribes of Israel. That's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. We're gonna study in Exodus about the 12 tribes of Israel. It's fascinating. And this is where this all starts. They're Jacob's son. They're, they're, they're part of the covenant promise to Abraham that we're gonna make you a nation. One child, we're gonna make you a nation. Twelve tribes. Wait till you see how many people come out of Egypt. He made a nation, all right. But did Abraham see it? Did Isaac see it? Did Jacob see it? Did Joseph ever see it? So all of those people that God had made the promise to, did they ever see it come to play? But did they continue to believe even when they did not see so much so that when Joseph died, he said, I, I, "I know that you're going into the land of promise. I'm so confident of it that make sure you promise me that my bones are going to go there too. Make sure my bones go because I am so confident. It's not me, but it's going to be somebody because God said it, and I believe it. And so get my bones ready. Make sure they're in a coffin that can go to Canaan, to Canaan when we take it when we take that land. These are people who believed God." And the Bible said it was credited to them as righteousness. So here's what you need to know about Joseph and his 11 other brothers. These are the sons of Jacob that we see in the beginning of the book of Exodus. I'll go over this very quickly and then I'll let you go. But this is important that you know before we study. Joseph, as you know, was hated by his brothers. He was the favored son of Jacob. He showed him favoritism. Daddies, I'm just going to tell you, when you show favoritism, it will come back to bite you. And so he did a lot of things because, uh, because Joseph was the son of Rebecca, the wife he loved so very much. And he gave him a coat of many colors, and his brothers were jealous of that, and, and so his brothers were really kind of jealous of the favor that he had with his dad, and they hated him. And then one day Joseph had a dream, and he had a dream that his brothers were going to bow down and worship him. And so he trots out in the field, and he says, hey, guys, I have this dream. Can I tell you about it? Just stupid, but he did. And the Bible says they hated him even more. Are we surprised? (laughs) And so one day, Jacob says, you know, your brothers are out pastoring my sheep. Go go to them. And as they saw him coming, the Bible says that they hated him so much, and they began to conspire to kill him. And then they decided, well, we won't kill him, but we'll just throw him in this pit, in this cistern, and we'll let him die. And so they threw him in the pit, and they sat down to eat. (laughs) That's how wicked they were. And as they were eating, this caravan of Midianite traders come by, and they decide, well, we can sell them. We can sell him to them, make some money. And I think it was something like 20 shekels, not very much money at all. But they sell their brother into slavery. He's very young, like 17. He's young. And they sell their brother into slavery. Who knows that as Jacob, as Joseph, would you be saying, poor me, my life stinks. My brothers hate me. They, they sold me into slavery. God, where are you? Why aren't you working in my life? I can't trust you. You're not taking care of. Would you be saying that? Come on. Let's not be super spiritual. I mean, we get a stubbed toe and we're mad at God. He gets sold into slavery. They go to Egypt and they sell him to Potiphar. And Potiphar is the, the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. He's a big, influential guy. Uh, some of the commentaries I read said that he was, he was maybe a torturer. He was not a nice guy. And Joseph, because he had the favor of God, because he didn't turn against God, because he continued all through the story of Joseph, what we see and why I'm bringing it to you tonight is what we see as providence. Do you know what providence is? You see, that's where we have to get with God, where we understand that He is in control of everything and that He is working every detail in our lives for our good and for His glory. Do you believe that? You see, you have to believe that when you're in a pit. You have to believe that when you're being sold into slavery and you're in a prison of somebody else's making. You have to believe that God is bigger than that, that He's bigger than that person who hurt you, that He is working in ways you cannot see. That's providence, that's a place of rest. And you see, Joseph believed that. The word providence comes from two words pro video, and it means to see before. Oh, precious one, can I just tell you one of my favorite names of God is that He's a God who sees. He sees every last thing that's ever been done to you, He sees every time you were done dirty. He sees every heartache, every heartbreak. The Bible says that every tear you've ever cried, he keeps in a bottle. That's how precious they are to you. Do you know that the very hairs on your head are numbered by God? That's how important you are to him. Stop giving Susie down the street or Fred who hurt you at work any power. Let him throw you in a pit, but believe God's going to deliver you and make you something great. It's time that we start believing that, that God has more power than the one who's out to get us. And see, Joseph believed that. And so he was sold into slavery. He was sold to Potiphar, and and he's serving Potiphar, and God is blessing the socks off of him because he's trying to do what's right, and he's, 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 he's reverence for God. And so God is blessing him, and he's walking in favor, and so everything that he does prospers. Oh, see, there's nothing better than favor. Oh, I can, earn, I can earn favor with Leslie. I can earn favor with Dave. I, I, I can earn favor with Diane. And I can try to please you guys and get favor from you. <laughs> but there is nothing better than favor with God. That's why I don't care if I have favor here. Because when I have favor here, when I'm pleasing God, when I'm walking in obedience to him, every last thing I put my hand to begins to prosper. He starts blessing me in ways I can't even get myself blessed. And that's what he did for Joseph. And Potiphar recognized it. And he kept, he kept advancing him. And eventually he makes him head over his household and, and, and Joseph is a good-looking man, and, and he's very competent and powerful, and, and everything he does is prospering. And so he catches the eye of Potiphar's wife, and she puts the moves on him. And, and she tries to entice him and to draw him to her bed. And, and Joseph, because he fears God and he wants to please Potiphar, he says no to her advances. And eventually she puts so much pressure on him that she grabs a hold of his cloak and she's going to pull him into bed with her. And, she, and he flees. And when he flees, she pulls his robe off, his cloak off, and it's left in her hand, but he flees. And she uses that because she's scorned to set him up. And she tells her husband that he tried to rape her. And her husband puts Joseph where? Back into prison again. I mean, at this point, how many of us would be saying, God, where are you? And why don't you love me? And I'm just trying to please you. And look at what you allow happened in my life. But not Joseph. Joseph then, in prison, starts working his heart out for God. And, and he just starts serving God where he's at and the place he's at. And, and he's kind to the people. And he meets a cupbearer and a... I always say a baker and a candlestick maker. A cup baker, a cupbearer bearer and a baker. In prison, and, and they become friends. And, and one day the, the, they each have a dream and they can't interpret it. And they say to Joseph, can you do that? And Joseph seeks the Lord and he gets the interpretation for the dream. And it's right on. It happens just the way he says it will. And I think the baker, I think, gets killed, hanged, and the cup bearer, uh, get, goes back to Potiphar's house, and so Joseph says to him, "Just remember me, okay? Remember me in prison, because <laughs> we're buds, right? What does the cupbearer do? Forgets all about him. Now again, Lord, where are you, and why aren't you helping me? And if you loved me, you would take. Them. I mean, that's us, is it not? I mean, I know you're far more spiritual than I am, but but not Joseph. The Bible says that he just continued to do what God told him to do in the place he was at. And two years later, the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh, has a dream, and nobody can interpret it, and suddenly the cupbearer remembers Joseph. (laughs) And he says, hey, there's this guy in prison, and he can interpret dreams. And so the Bible says that Joseph, he calls for Joseph, and Joseph, I love this, he shaves, he gets cleaned up. And he goes before Pharaoh and he interprets the dream and Pharaoh promotes him and makes him his, basically his prime minister. <laughs> and now here's the man who way back here was thrown into a pit, was done dirty time after time after time after time after time after time. And now he is like the second highest in the kingdom because he trusted God. That's providence. God, in this pit back here, you're working. They, 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 see, that's what happens. You see, now uh, his brothers are in famine. And the only place that has grain is, guess where? Egypt, because Joseph's in charge and God's blessing the socks off of everything he touches. And so Egypt has grain. And so his father hears that Egypt has grain. And remember, his father thinks he's dead. And so he sends the brothers that sold him into slavery and said he was dead To Egypt, guess who they run into? Joseph. They're terrified. Because you see, that's what happens when you treat people dirty. When you do nasty stuff to people. The Bible says we reap what we sow. In fact, it says, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. Whatsoever you sow, that too shall you reap. You sow gossip. Back home with your bad self. But I trust, I promise you, whatsoever things you sow, you are going to reap. That's God's, that's God's way. That's his math. And so you might be having a good old time gossiping, but I promise you somebody will be gossiping about you someday. You might withhold forgiveness and think you have a right, but I promise you someday You are going to need forgiveness, and it's going to be withheld from you. You treat somebody nasty all the time, and you never let them out from under that. Do not be deceived. Whatsoever things you sow, that too you shall reap. And so the brothers are terrified. They know what they've done to him. And now he is in a position to make them reap. But I love sweet Joseph. What does he say? He says, it's okay, guys. You meant this for evil. But God meant it for good. That pit you threw me into back here. You meant it for evil because you are evil. I'm not changing what you did to make you feel better. That was evil. You meant it for evil. Doesn't change that. But God meant it for good. And that's what I'm choosing to focus on, guys is that he meant it for good. He meant it for the saving of many lives. He meant it for his glory. And because I followed him and not the bitterness that I could have followed, I I am in this place uh, of advancement today. I'm in this place of blessing today. And that's why God's word works. And so Joseph's brothers all go get his dad. They tell him he's alive. They all move to Egypt. The Pharaoh gives them this beautiful fertile land called Goshen. (laughs) And they live there, and they're happily ever after. And then Genesis, the book that starts with new life, ends with a coffin. It ends with Joseph's coffin. Joseph has died. All his descendants have died. And that's where Exodus picks up. Joseph was basically a celebrity in Egypt. Everybody knew him. But now all of that 12 tribes have died. The 12 sons of Jacob have died. Joseph has died, and a Pharaoh who did not know anything about Joseph comes into power. Now, that word know there does not mean he didn't know that Joseph was this incredible guy that blessed Egypt. It means he had no regard for what he did. And so that's where we let off tonight. That's why it was so important that we have the picture of Genesis and all that took place. Because all through the book of Genesis, we see that promise that was made uh, to um, Abraham that I'm going to make a nation. I'm going to make it great. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to prosper you. And I'm going to lead you into a land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey. And if God said it, it's going to happen. Abraham might not have seen it. Jacob might not have seen it. Joseph might not have seen it, but God, we're going to find out in Exodus, is going to perform his word because he's a God, a covenant-keeping God who can be trusted to keep his promises. He is the God of the beginning of Genesis who wants to make himself known to his people, who wants fellowship with his people, who wants relationship with his people, who always has your good in mind, good, not evil, in mind, and he wants to bless you and prosper you. And that's what we're about to learn in the book of Exodus. But we have to come to that place of of understanding providence, that God is working in ways that we cannot see. I finished my sermon tonight, and I was sitting with it, and I was reviewing it, and I realized I didn't have a, a summary. I didn't have a conclusion. And I always like to give you something to flesh out what I teach. And I was talking to the Lord about it and just that quick a text message came in from my stepdaughter. And and she had she had asked her daddy and I to pray about something in her life that was weighing heavily on her and 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 we love her to pieces and she is just she's a Joseph. Everything she touches prospers and we had no doubt that God was gonna take care of her, but she was worried about it and she had a little anxiety about things and so she said, you know. Can you just commit to this thing uh, that she was concerned about? Can you commit it to prayer for me? And we have been. We've been praying about it for a couple months. And, and so every time she would call, um, I would say to her, you know, Teek, we're praying. And God has this. He has this, baby. And, and she would say, you know, I wish I could believe that. I really got anxiety. And so tonight she called us with some good news or she texted us with some good news. And I said, Teek, God has you. He has you. And here's what she texts back to me as I'm saying, Lord, how am I going to close this message? She said, I can't help but be a little overwhelmed by the feeling that God really does have me. And he has a plan for me, and all I need to do is put my trust in him. I chuckled as I read that because I thought, Lord, I can't close this sermon any any better way. Because, you see, my daughter is getting this. She's getting that she's overwhelmed by God's provision for her life. That she's understanding that the prayer she was seeking, that she was looking to him to bring her through this, and that he could be trusted, that he really did have her, and that he had a plan for her life that nothing was going to interfere with. And that she just needed to continue to trust him and believe that he really did have her. Can I tell you, he has you. I don't know what your life looks like right now. It might be filled with despair. It might be filled with hopelessness. It might be filled with heartache or trials or trouble. You might be in a pit, but can I tell you? You could even be in a prison, but can I tell you what? God has you. He has you. You belong to him. Love my melon. You have his label. You're made in his image. He can be trusted to keep you and to lead you through wherever it is, whatever's happening, triumphantly. That's who we serve. And that's what we're gonna learn about in Exodus. I promise you, tonight might have been boring for you, but it is not gonna be boring from here on out. I can hardly wait for you to discover the truth in Exodus. I'm going to ask Ian to come and close in a, in a song. Thank you for letting me go a little late tonight. I will promise you I will keep to my 45 minutes each week as much as I possibly can. <laughs> Father, I pray for every man and woman in this house tonight. We just thank you and we praise you, Lord, that you're God who can be trusted. I thank you, Lord, that you have each person here, that you have them, that you're working in ways they cannot see, and that you want to do immeasurably more in their lives than they could ever ask, dream, or imagine. That's who you are. You are the Redeemer of all things. You redeem our garbage. You redeem our pain. You redeem our heartache and our trauma. You redeem it. You deliver us from those places of captivity and bondage. And you long to bring us into a place of abundance and plenty. That's who you are. So I ask, Lord God, that each person here tonight, Lord, that that truth would penetrate them and that they would leave here with hope. Lord God, one of my favorite scriptures is that those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. Oh, Lord God, prove that to your people. That as we put our hope and our trust in you, we will never be disappointed. We love you, Lord, and we give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name.